Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. Thanks for joining us for At Issue. It has been a busy week for our 2020 presidential candidates, including Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar. She took the stage Wednesday on the first night of two presidential debates. The first night was important for Senator Klobuchar, hoping to break through the clutter of more than two dozen Democratic candidates and boost her national profile. Klobuchar was one of 10 candidates on the stage in Miami, Florida Wednesday. That made it tough to break through. After having the second question of the debate directed to her, we didn't hear from her again for 15 minutes. But she did get a huge round of applause when some of her male opponents talked about how much they've done for women on the abortion choice issue. And I am the only candidate here who has passed a law protecting a woman's right of reproductive health and health insurance. And I'm the only candidate who has passed a public option. I just want to say there's three women up here that have fought pretty hard for a woman's right to choose. So I'll start with that. That was probably Klobuchar's biggest applause line of the night. Many of the other candidates were more aggressive in jumping in on each other, but Klobuchar did get a chance to criticize President Trump, who claimed he would drive down prescription drug prices. Instead, 2,500 drugs have gone up in double digits since he came into office. Instead, he gave $100 billion in giveaways to the pharma companies. For the rest of us, for the rest of America, that's what we call at home, all foam and no beer. We got nothing out of it. Klobuchar also criticized President Trump for seeming to constantly have America on the verge of war. This president is literally every single day, 10 minutes away from going to war, one tweet away from going to war, and I don't think All we right. should conduct foreign policy in our bathrobe at 5 Con in the Congresswoman morning. Congresswoman Gabbard. And, of course, it's hard to declare a winner in this debate because there was so much talking over each other. Klobuchar, in the end, had just over eight minutes of airtime in the two-hour debate compared to ten minutes for Cory Booker and a little over nine for Elizabeth Warren. Now, a night later, another 10 candidates took the stage in Miami, including the two frontrunners, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. But the big story has been the back and forth between Senator Kamala Harris and former Vice President Biden. Harris asked Biden if he regrets highlighting his work with segregationist senators. Biden defended his record. You also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. It's a mischaracterization of my position across the board. I did not oppose busing in America. What I opposed is busing ordered by the Department of Education. President Donald Trump was among the many who reacted to the debates. After the first night, he tweeted, quote, boring. And after the second debate, he criticized all the candidates for supporting health insurance for undocumented immigrants. We have a special Vote 2020 digital page to help you keep up with all of this. You can find it on our homepage at KSTP.com and on our KSTP mobile app. This week, the Supreme Court rejected the Trump administration's justification for adding a citizenship question to the 2020 census forms. That ruling sends the matter back to the Commerce Department for review. The president calls it ridiculous that the government can't ask people living in this country if they're U.S. citizens. 
Opponents say asking the question could result in an inaccurate count of how many people actually live in America and in Minnesota. Immigrant groups vigorously protested the proposed addition of a citizenship question on 2020 census forms. The Trump administration sought to ask all respondents whether they are American citizens. We are celebrating this decision uh, as it means the most likely that the citizenship question will not be on the form. So we are looking forward to not having to deal with it. That issue. The fear was that census takers would have trouble getting the participation of everyone living in this country, especially Hispanics and other immigrant groups. It would drive the census in the state of Minnesota dangerously close to not having entire households included. And if that happened, the state could potentially lose federal funds and a congressional seat, both of which are tied to population. State demographer Susan Brower said Minnesota almost lost a congressional seat in 2010. Last time we kept it by just over 8,000 people, and after the 2010 census, we're right back in the same position again this time around. Very, very close. Chief Justice John Roberts wrote the Trump administration could come back with, quote, genuine justifications for adding the question. So opponents remain cautious. It's not the government census. It's our census. And we all need to be participating, and none of us should be scared from participating. President Trump immediately responded to the ruling on Twitter. He wrote, it seems totally ridiculous that our government cannot ask a basic question of citizenship. Census forms are supposed to be printed soon, but the president is asking if the census can be delayed. A woman who survived a sexual assault as a 14-year-old girl is speaking out against her attacker's request to be pardoned. This past week, the Board of Pardons ultimately decided against pardoning Thomas Andov of first-degree criminal sexual conduct. There have been a few pardons issued for offenders with lesser convictions, but first-degree sexual assault cases are the most serious and put victims in a difficult position when they want to fight a pardon. I'm forced to think about what happened to me that night. Sorry. After nearly 29 years, the sexual assault Amy Fredrickson suffered at the age of 14 continues to haunt her. And I don't think we should ask victims to be victimized again, and that's what I feel like I've had to go through today. Fredrickson testified before the Board of Pardons, made up of Governor Walls, Attorney General Ellison, and Chief Justice Lori Gilday. Her then-uncle, Thomas Andove, was convicted of drugging and sexually assaulting her in 1990. I'm looking for an opportunity to be redeemed on this side of heaven, if you will. Andove says he's turned his life around, but his 1991 conviction continues to keep him from getting jobs. There is no pardon for me. That can never be erased. Fredrickson objected to Andove's request for a pardon and to the process. I'm sorry that I had to get the letter from the Minnesota Board of Pardons and be part of this process today. I don't think it's fair that I have to relive this. I have heard Ms. Fredrickson's concerns about this process and the position it puts her in, and I share those concerns deeply. Governor Walls says he supports legislation to change the process. Chief Justice Gilday is open to changes, but... That I think receiving survivor input and victim input um, has been very important to me. Um, as a member of this board. Andove suffered what appeared to be an anxiety attack after his pardon was rejected, and he was checked out by paramedics. 
his victim was relieved that the pardon wasn't granted and that the governor is open to changes. I believe him when he says that he is going to look at it and, and talk about making reforms, and that makes me happy. It was worth everything I had to go through if that's what comes out of it. Any changes would have to wait until the next legislative session in February. The Minnesota Coalition Against Sexual Assault also supports changes and is working with the Department of Corrections and the legislature. The St. Louis Park City Council will reconsider a decision to no longer recite the Pledge of Allegiance before starting their meetings. City councilors passed the resolution during their meeting on June 17th. However, two members were not present for the vote. The resolution would take effect during their July 15th meeting, but after criticism from the community and planned protests by veterans groups, the decision will be reconsidered at the July 8th meeting. There's more that goes on at the state capitol than just passing bills. We can push each other pretty hard without uh, getting personal. As often happens here, the longer you talk, the more you're going to offend someone. I am offended. And much of it might make you laugh. Coming up, we're bringing back our capitol's greatest hits, showing some of the funniest moments of the year. Minnesota Representative Ilhan Omar and Vermont Senator and Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders are working to wipe out student debt. The two lawmakers introduced legislation in Washington this past week. It would slash $1.6 trillion of student loan debt for about 45 million people. We are told going to college opens a world of opportunity, but far too many, it's accompanied by a world of anxiety, stress, and never-ending debt. In a highly competitive global economy, when we need the best educated workforce in the world, this proposal will make it possible for every person in America to get all of the education they need regardless of their financial status. They propose paying for the plan with a new tax on Wall Street transactions. A Minnesota lawmaker wants his U.S. Congresswoman to go after her colleague, Ilhan Omar. State Representative Steve Draskowski has a long to-do list for Democrat Angie Craig. He wants Craig to work to remove Omar's security clearances, remove Omar from the House Foreign Affairs Committee, and initiate an ethics investigation over allegations of federal and state offenses. Ms. Omar appears to be a serial career criminal and should not have access to our nation's highest secrets and intelligence. Congresswoman Omar's office sent us a statement. It says, in part, since before she was elected to office, Ilhan has been the subject of conspiracy theories and false accusations about her personal life. Earlier this month, however, Omar was fined $500 for violating a campaign finance law and questions were raised about her federal tax filings. Congressman Craig calls Draskowski's request a political stunt. Joining me now for political analysis, Ember Young, a former state senator, and Kurt Zellers, former speaker of the Minnesota House. Thank you both for being here. Uh, Ilhan Omar, we'll talk about her first. Uh, the questions will not go away, whether this is a political stunt or not. Uh, Ember, the questions continue to get raised, and they will continue to dog her right up until her next re-election bid. As a former chair of an ethics committee in the Senate, I don't think that this complaint has legs because the incidents occurred prior to her being in either state office or federal office. However, there are unanswered questions that need to be 
answered. And the Star Tribune showed there were still things that she wasn't commenting on and clarifying. And I think for the benefit of her constituents, she needs to do that, and she does need to be held accountable in at least the political forum. And, uh, Kurt, uh, another shoe could drop in this if the IRS uh, starts investigating right. her joint tax filing with a man who was not her husband while she was married to someone else. For any one of us, that would be a big tax problem. Right, and there's a fine that's been levied now. So this isn't just conspiracy theories, and I think she, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, does no good, no doing a service to herself and to her defense by calling Representative Drazkowski's requests or inquiries stunts. You were fined. You were fined $500. Whatever the amount is, you were fined for doing something wrong. The IRS is going to investigate her, at least allegedly, and when that comes out, She's going to look even more foolish if she berates her accusers when these things are actually going to be investigated and they're serious charges. And to be clear, it was Angie Craig who called it a stunt, but right. Ilhan Omar probably agrees with <laughs> yeah. that, I would, I would guess. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. We'll be following this, of course, and see what happens there. Let's talk about the presidential debates. It was Amy Klobuchar's uh, chance uh, to try to break through the clutter of, what is it, 25 Democratic candidates. Uh, Ember, most of the grades I've seen on the debates from the two different debates, uh, Amy Klobuchar is somewhere in the middle of the pack. She did a strong, solid performance, very stable, and I think she didn't make any errors, so she did well in that regard. Um, here's what I also think. She benefited from the fact that Joe Biden didn't do well the second night because she's in the same moderate lane as he is. And I think if his popularity goes down, Amy Klobuchar has a pathway to really being in the final mix. And she certainly did, uh, Kurt, try to stake out a moderate uh, position on a lot of things. She said, look, at, uh, we just can't pay for free college for everybody and wipe out everybody's student debt. She made more moderate proposals like free community college. Uh, are those types of things going to help her as the rest of the field goes to the left? Yeah, I mean, I think the more remarkable uh, task to come out of this would be if anybody in, in politics who could name all the candidates. There's, what, 60, 70 candidates up on stage? <laughs> she did a good job, from my perspective, when she was talking about infrastructure, things that middle America cares about. The vast majority of those candidates up there are screaming so far to the left. Nobody in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio are going to vote for them. So Amy's doing a good job with that strategy. Where I felt bad for her was accusing the president of being on the verge of war every 10 minutes. I mean, that's just preposterous, and it makes you seem silly when you say things like that. Just 10 seconds left. Was there a, a big winner between the two nights? Yes, I think so. I think Kamala Harris really did break through in the second night. I personally really like Julian Castro. He went onto my radar screen from the first night as well as Cory Booker. All right. Well, we'll have many more uh, debates to, to assess uh, in the coming months. Uh, thanks for being here, Ember and Kurt. This year, you're getting a chance to see an at-issue classic, our Capital Greatest Hits. It's making a comeback. Quick, let's just change the rules so we can go down and have some cookies. I mean, up next, we'll show you some of the more unusual and funny moments of the 2019 legislative session. It's back after a few years on hiatus. This year, we decided to take some liberties with some of the funny and unusual moments of the legislative session and string them together in a way we hope will make you smile. Here is a look at the greatest hits of the 2019 legislative session. Things are functioning as they should. Uh-oh. 
I think that means we're done yeah. today. What'd you do? Probably should start by turning on the microphone. That was a stellar, stellar microphone transfer, by the way. Nice work. What the heck, huh? Adopt this amendment to the temporary rules and let's go eat some cookies. I'm not glum. Um, I'm just as happy as can be. And if you're a member of the public at home trying to follow this process, good luck. I can tell you I don't have money, but what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. There is no such superpower granted in these rules. And someone in a nice suit from Belgium is going to stand up and tell us that this will never happen. Please trust us. Good luck. It's a long, long journey to the capital city. With a thoughtfulness in the House and the Senate and then bringing different bills together and then uh, conferencing those, sending them back, voting on them and sending us, um, that's the schoolhouse rock. I'm just a bill sitting on the hill thing. I know I'll be a law someday, at least I hope and pray that I will. But today I am still just a bill. Legislating is important. Hey, quick, let's just change the rules so we can go down and have some cookies. I'm just kind of flummoxed as to what we're seeing happen here. Is there any reason for that anachronistic relic that we still have to change our clocks? We currently are on standard time, and then we flip to daylight savings and off of it again. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? The technical term is that circadian misalignment caused by the shift to daylight savings time. Every single Minnesotan is touched by the changing of the time. The way I see it, if you're going to build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? We could have standard time more months of the year, but we cannot have daylight savings time more months of the year. Housekeeping? So back in an hour. There would be no more springing ahead or falling back or changing clocks or disrupting your circadian rhythm. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God. If anybody lives with animals who don't pay attention to clocks, you can tell how much it affects them as well. You disintegrated Einstein. I would rather suggest that we lease every writer a Lexus and then crush it at the end of the year and lease them a new one. We'd save money. Uh, welcome to the Minnesota House of Representatives. And I'm sorry if you don't like the fact that we're not having a parade for the crap that you're trying to pass into law. This is not anything that's adding anything on top of anything. We don't like this stuff. And we're going to stand here and talk to the Point public about why it's bad and why it's bad for them. Madam Speaker. Because we don't think that these things are good for, for Minnesotans. You rise. Point of order. And it's not State our obligation point. to help you pass this stuff. Yep. It's our obligation Becker to make Finn sure that the, the public knows what you're Becker passing. Finn has the floor. When we took a pledge, when we signed up and took our oath of office, we were empowered, not muzzled. I state your name. Nice. State your name. Bipartisanship seems to be breaking out. Can you talk about that big picture? <laughs> 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 what is Texas? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll look good in the newspaper. If we're not comfortable being here, if it's a, because it's an improper meeting, there's a door. Well, Mr. Chair, uh, you know, thank you very much. 
Hey. There'll be no demonstrations from the audience. You can do what you want to us, but we're not going to sit here and listen to you badmouth the United States of America. Gentlemen. As often happens here, the longer you talk, the more you're going to offend someone. I am offended. I got four years worth of speeches uh, bottled up in me, so you may want to take a seat. We are prepared to come in early and stay late and uh, get this work done for Minnesotans on time and in public. The question was, am I sick of you yet? No. Uh, we can push each other pretty hard without uh, getting personal. Which is, I'm sorry, bull****. I think we can use a little cuddle time, so take advantage of that. It's between 1.30 and 3. For the Air Force folks here, I am going to land this plane by Monday, one way or another. So. Coming in too fast, watch your speed. He's coming right at us! Coming in too hot. I don't know how many engines will be left on it, but it will land. The brake! So as you celebrate your successful session, this is the least amount of work that has been accomplished in a legislative session since 1985. And I'm reminded of the T.S. Eliot poem ending, this is the way your session ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. If you're looking to go somewhere else, uh, there may be a little cheese uh, left, uh, cheese balls in the uh, retiring room. Let's all show our appreciation for Representative Erdahl and the cheese. And I think we need to honor and respect the fact that this is the people's house. The next session is in February. A Minnesota championship runner is honored in a big way on what would have been her 33rd birthday. Up next, the special way Governor Tim Walz paid tribute to Gabrielle Grunwald. This past week, a big group gathered to honor the life of a Minnesota woman by doing what she did best, running. Tuesday was Gabrielle Grunwald Day in Minnesota. She lost her battle with cancer earlier this month. Governor Tim Walls was also at the run. Gabe would have celebrated her 33rd birthday this week. You can listen to episodes of At Issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We have links posted on our website on the At Issue page at KSTP.com. And that is all the time we have for now. We hope to see you back here again next week for another edition of At Issue.